Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hi, and welcome to Food for Thought. It is Joe O, the science ho, coming to you this week, alas, all by myself. We need another week off of recording to get our lives together. I'm sure you can empathize. We're going to do a special treat for you, though, this week. We're replaying one of our favorite best episodes. Uh, those of you who are just starting to listen might not even know it yet. It's from season one, and we introduce you to the wonderful and perfect Zaddy Alexander Chi, whose writing is a gift to the world and whose friendship is a gift to us. He's on our show to talk about everything, about queer mentorship, friendship, and building a life making art with your friends. It is the gayest shit, the best shit. We hope you enjoy, and guess what? We'll be back next week. See you then, thoughties. We love you. Bye-bye. Welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest wherein a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, identity, culture, what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for Thought, brought to you by The Real Vitamin D. I'm Tommy Pico. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tommy Pico, poet, editor, and hard femme. And in fact, I'm like the last stop on the train before you go into full-on butch territory. <laughs> I'm Fran Dorado, writer, editor, and I'm currently wearing white jelly sandals with a heel. That's true. Uh, I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, bisexual, and... I have a thousand followers on Instagram, like a young person. (laughs) (laughs) You see me on TV, boo? (laughs) And I'm Alexander Chi, novelist, essayist, and I think I might be the food for thought daddy auntie. (laughs) Oh, true. Our actual auntie. Thank you, Alexander Chi. Legacy thought extraordinaire is our fourth chair this week as Dennis... As at the McDowell Colony, America's premier artist colony, yes. finishing his debut novel. So let's clink to that. Clink to that. Rotten mm-hmm. hell, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Two months off. I hate you. We're so proud of you, D. Come home soon. <laughs> Joe. Good riddance. <laughs> Joe, will you tell us what we got on the menu this week? Yes, absolutely, boys. On this episode, we look forward to our upcoming thoughty dictatorship. Ooh. Alex tells us about his best sexual revenge hmm. and <laughs> we break up with you Aww. sorry <laughs> bye 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 <laughs> buck, 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 buck. i'm feeling a little peckish how are y'all doing <laughs> i think oh my it's, god i think it's time we open up the top of this show straight out of the bat with our uproarious appetizer segment amuse bouche and i believe fran's gonna amuse our bouches today that's correct tommy today's amuse bouche i guess starts off with um you my fellow americans i have prepared for us um what you could call a table conversation called 
the first hundred days, or as Tommy might call it, the first hundred gays. Right now, we are just leaving the first hundred days of He Who Must Not Be Named. The KKK Goblin King, a.k.a. the Cheese Whiz Dictator, a.k.a. the Tika Maslander, a.k.a. the <laughs> Tina Tiny Hands. You're going through a whole list, Fred. You know what? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, we actually do have... We have a, we have we a, have a Google Doc yes. that's got... It's a, a dossier, if you will, <laughs> um, of other of alternative names. So, you know, we're not going to run out of them. Because he's not doing a terrific job, and because we could probably do a better job, and because we will inevitably be presidents, I thought it would be, you know, useful for us because to Because apparently out. anybody could be president. Yeah, yeah. I you mean, can do if it, he I can, can do, do it. it mm-hmm. He can do it. I thought it might be fun for us to figure out what our first hundred days would look like, you know, like when we inevitably become presidents. Our gay agenda. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'll start with the first, my first thing is like uh, criminalize motor scooters. I hate them. Oh, okay. <laughs> can't, can't handle it. Or at the very least, have an age cutoff for people who ride motor scooters, like 12 or 13. <laughs> uh, I would sign an executive order into law that forbids men from wearing flip-flops. Yes. Oh, see, that, that's, that's, that's Tommy Pico. Sorry. I want to outlaw shorts in winter and yes. sleeves in summer. Oh. oh. That's right. <laughs> all tank tops all the time. In- and okay. Justin Bieber must always be 100% shirtless. Okay. okay. Uh. Well, <laughs> that'll be your president, not my president. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking about is like cupcake shops. Do we really need them? I feel like they take up a lot of space. Cupcake shops and macaroon shops now. Macaroon shops Get out too. of here. It's like we're it's trying like 375 for like half a bite of air. Yeah. No, trying don't want too it. hard to be Paris. We're mm-hmm. not Paris. We're just not there. Paris wouldn't even have a cupcake shop. No. <laughs> or if they did, it would be a different kind of cupcake. Yes. So true, Alex. <laughs> do, you have any, uh, do you have any executive orders you'd like to sign into law, Alex? I was trying to think of what it would be, and I think it would be like... Leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) In the Constitution. (laughs) Yeah, like I would just be like the president hermit or something. The president you never Um, saw. Like, figure it out. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's like you're a libertarian, basically. I think you just came out as a libertarian, Alex. Oh, God, that's horrible. (laughs) Maybe. I love the idea of the president just retreating and being like, can y'all promise just to be real cool and just just handle this (laughs) and be cool about this? I was thinking about what our, I mean, we'll all have different answers for this, but like, what would our first national anthem be? A national anthem by Lana Del Rey. Uh, what? No. Oh, and mine on. would be the national anthem by Radiohead. <laughs> I was going to say Kiss Me by Sixpence and the Richer. Yeah, accurate, friend. I feel accurate. like, I mean, I don't know. I also think that, like, everyone at a certain, every, every boy and girl at a certain age could get, like, a copy of David Halperin's How to Be Gay, just so that they know that they have the option. I'm a know? huge fan of that. Yeah. I w- just, that would have changed my life growing up. Right. No pressure. Just, like, so you know right. how to be in case you want in case to you be. want to be in, ca- mm-hmm. in case you make the conscious decision and to- also adrian rich's compulsory heterosexuality exactly mm-hmm. Ooh, just a double pack a two-pack yeah i would say that everyone would have to watch sister act two for sure <laughs> oh my god of course <laughs> debut of young but lauren like, hill who yeah. hasn't seen it you have to have take- there people out there who haven't seen sister act two 
I have not. Sorry. Alex and Alex Fran both raised raise their hand. Get out. I okay. don't know, I know you anymore. Okay, so Guantanamo that's... would basically just be a place to watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then reintegration into society. Like it's yes, just, exactly. just go watch the movie. Words. It's in Cuba. It's lovely. The sun is shining. Then come back. You'd have to take a standardized Sister Act two test. <laughs> Sister Mary Blank. <laughs> um, I would definitely make guac no longer extra at chipotle oh my god <laughs> that is a reality for a many white women <laughs> is it in our country right now yeah guac uh-huh. at chipotle is basic yeah absolutely uh-huh. i mean but a lot of girls oh, no. dang i mean if fran oh, is agreeing that something's basic it's not <laughs> it's not great guac on a scale uh-huh. of like one to ten it's like three as far as guac, so, I, I don't mind. I think opinion. it's good guac. I mean, no. for, you know, fast food guac. Mm-mm. I mean, it depends on who prepared it that day, but for the most part, they cream it too much, and I just think you want a little chunk. Cream it too much. Here we go. Chunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I would just be like the misandrist in chief because all of the rules that I'm thinking of only apply to men. Like, men can't talk about music anymore. I'm yeah, just like, yeah. Just can't talk about music anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, men cannot, I don't know, like, I just, I'm so done with like why male straight protagonist so i would mm. like to see all of those uh done away with for at least like the four years of my right i was yes, gonna yes. say pregnancy, pregnancy. <laughs> but like but like that would lead to an even bigger problem that you'd have white male writers writing characters like that are not white males i didn't say and that they would could be write even, I exactly say they could write. so it's just like no white male writers for just just take a breath just like take yeah a just like you've had like um the span of the last yes. whatever thousands of years yes. to fucking write your shit like just you, you can you can just take a back seat right yeah. now I feel like at the very least, men can't speak ill of Beyonce. <laughs> I feel like that that's like a that's mm. a fair. Mm. At the very least, they point. can't give their opinion on her. <laughs> yeah, unless it's cheering. Yeah, men can cheer. They yeah, can cheer. I mean, you, can, you can have like a quiet appreciation. Yes. You can golf clap if you want to. Like, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I was playing this game with my friend Ben, and we were we were talking about um, like ways we would restructure things that are going on and one of the things we came up was like restructuring like the idea of like marriage as there's only one way you could do it but it should be like there should be a bunch of different ways to have a kind of like governmental partnership or rather a partnership that gives you tax breaks like a domestic sex partnership like oh we've been having sex for seven years like uh, we're not in a romantic relationship we just want to raise a kid this, together this actually happened in canada very right. recently oh, two, really? um, two women who are lawyers and are friends um have have adopted a child without right. without getting married to one or, another so they have like the, they're both um co-parents of right of, of or literal of friends with benefits yes. or like yeah. Yeah. Pet, <laughs> right platonic pet co-parents platonic yeah. platonic pot plant moms yeah you know, listen i we have a plant we've had one for a really long time <laughs> i grew up on a reservation where i felt like i was parented by a lot of different people right. so i feel like why not i i got to have like so many different parental figures so that my, the dysfunction with my main parental figures didn't really matter all that much in the end because i had so many other people to look right, up right, to right. yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. It was it diffused out into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. And now I'm sort of well adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, don't lie to the microphone. Come on. As I'm having a thought teeny. <laughs> Tommy's just like repeal gay marriage. <laughs> we tried it. <laughs> didn't, it didn't work really out. Work. <laughs> it didn't go great for me. But I would love more me. gay divorce. <laughs> Tommy. I would like to read 
my list <laughs> of my first 100 gays, which is the 100 men I would sleep with during my first 100 days in office. Uh, <laughs> are you going to be tired? Isn't that like a lot of, or so is it going to be like things. 30 at once? You know, Joe, the world works in mysterious ways. <laughs> but I gotta say, though, you know what? Like, I told you guys, like, a couple of episodes ago, I'm not necessarily all anal. You know what I mean? Like, right, 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 I'm right, about right, that right. fraudage life. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. here we go. Number 100. The hot guy with, okay, the hot guy with the dead eyes at Danny's Pizzeria who gives me my plain slice, but he ain't one. Uh, number 99 is Ed Sheeran. Because, no, no, because, because, no, no, let, let me finish. Because I've always wanted to be in a famous pop song, and I feel like he'd write a banger about how good I give head. Um, <laughs> because I have an affinity for like ugly hot. At 98, I would say Danny Trejo, Charm. aka Machete. 72. Because I'm a glutton for punishment, and this is disgusting, I'm sure I would get like an STD, but I'm sort of curious about what it would be like to have sex with um, Jennifer Aniston's like Burning Man uh, 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 crust punk ass brother named AJ. Oh my, oh my god. god. <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> 56, Gerard Lobo. If you don't know who this man is, is. do a Google image search and you're (laughs) welcome because he is a lot of man. Um, Number 55, the young Marlon Brando. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, 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 ooh. Mm, Yeah. Number 21 is this guy I used to see named Darnell. And even though he couldn't kiss for shit, like seriously, it was like, it was like, um, he was like a kitten lapping up milk. He just like licked my face. Oh, no, my Another God. thing that he really did, like, because he was so tall, he could rim me while I gave him head. Uh, it was so good. Just like the slumber party music video. Myself. True. True. <laughs> it was, the, the, you I might think have about to it, charge though, for it. <laughs> um, the image sort of looks like a little human centipede. He'll in my open head. up a Skillshare <laughs> class. Oh my God. <laughs> um, number 20, Justin Thoreau. But first, Ooh. he has to jog circles around me in sweatpants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> number 19, Idris Elba. Yeah. I mean, no comment. No, no comment. Number three, and this isn't in any particular order. They just as they came to me. Number three is like the Helmswords. Um, oh, and I'm going to tackle that too. I, I'm sort of curious about what a threesome would be like with Liam Helmsworth and Miley Cyrus because I sort of feel like oh, she could beat it up. You know, yeah, you know? she oh would God, absolutely really beat it up. Um, number two is Oliver Sacks when he was in that Tom of Finland motorcycle daddy phase. Oh. Ooh. Are you looking at Gerard? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we mm. go. You and could spend 100 days on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and again, this is in no particular order, but number one is longstanding, and that is Gael Garcia Bernal. Because oh, he can just God. get those vertigo-ass eyes into my oral yeah. office, okay? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, wow. I'm exhausted from Tommy's wow. first hundred yes. gays. Thank you, Tommy, for completely misinterpreting <laughs> the concept of this game. <laughs> oh, my God. For our next segment, the impure thought spelled T H O T. Our guest host Alexander Chi has got a couple of thoughts for us. Mm. Take it away. <laughs> impure thought was a funny prompt to think about because it's a lot of the stuff that we think of as being impure is not really technically dirty, but impure thought to me, I guess, when it came down to it, was like what's off limits right. that mm. you still want. You know, hmm. and, and I just arched my back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I was thinking back to my troubled youth in the 20s, in my 20s, when I was in the 20s. In the 20s. <laughs> 
ancient creature that I am <laughs> in my 20s when I was living in San Francisco and there was this, you know, poet that I, poet boy that I was completely crushed out on who worked in a cafe like so many of our crushes do uh, mm-hmm. so often. <laughs> um, it's Tommy's brand. <laughs> I actually, I do think there is something about like getting coffee from a man and then you have that adrenaline hit mm. afterwards when you drink the coffee and so gradually you get an adrenaline hit just from seeing them. Yeah. Mm. You know, like a kind of associative Pavlovian thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm just trying to make sense Sade of... And then he plays Sade for you in the cafe, and then you're just like, then you start associating him with Sade, and then like, <laughs> it's just like, like double goodness. Like, gotcha. <laughs> I think there's a reason that I've got a lot of baristas in my background, but anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he was telling me a lot of things about this other guy that he was... That you were sleeping with him. Seeing... We were, it was this thing where we were dating, but he was also involved with someone else who, he was like his, this guy's side piece. He was in a relationship. I was trying to figure out like, did they, did they have an open relationship or not? I was trying to figure out a lot of things about it. What I wasn't trying to figure out was why I was listening to this. <laughs> um, because I think back You're like, then. like, this is none of my business. It really <laughs> isn't. But I think back then I did, I was in a lot of those kinds of messy relationships with men who had other things going on. Mm. And when they would tell me about them, I would help them think through it. And I would think that it was intimacy, which is. Oh, wow just a portrait of the impoverished emotional state that i was in right? i mean that's so much emotional labor yeah it is yeah and like, i should just send them all a bill really, and, it's, and it's like self-effacing emotional labor because it's emotional labor that like literally is about the other person's desires that don't include you mm. yeah and i always want to be like listen i'm not your priest i'm not your chemist i'm not your therapist you need to take this to those people <laughs> oh yeah and i think i i did eventually learn to do that in my 30s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, that's why I'm living that life now. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm holding out for 30. <laughs> so, in any case, what happened next was that I was at my gym. And, mm-hmm. you know, things had progressed to the stage where I knew this guy's name. and Of the lover of the person. Yes. Who, yeah. So, I was, you know, I was working out, I think... The memory I have is that I was bench pressing and butch. I so butch, yeah. <laughs> could overhear at the other bench press a conversation between these two guys. There's this one guy who'd been kind of checking me out. He was this sort of pretty boy in a way that I didn't usually go after and didn't mm. also usually attract mm. either. Like very conventional white boy, brown hair, brown eyes, handsome, very smooth, and a little too confident in a way that i usually like i said i don't usually go for Mm. see when people like that try to come after me i'm always like what do you want i don't have any money so (laughs) (laughs) i'm not buying you anything right sorry yeah so at some point the name came through and i realized that he was my poet's guy Mm. so uh so i started stalking him (laughs) well (laughs) well, i started paying attention to him and as a result, and I think he thought that I was checking him out, and so he started to check me out, uh-huh. and then that started to get a little more intense, and then I realized at a certain point, oh, I could have this. Oh, ooh. Ooh. the web, ooh. the web gets weaved. Just gonna pop another Corona for that. <laughs> Do one for me too. Okay. And then, and then I thought. What do I... And then I didn't really think about it. Okay. I just yeah. decided it was a kind of a revenge. Yeah, of I course. Guess. Um, Fran knows Fran's all about that. I don't know what you're word. talking about. <laughs> that didn't give me shivers. Um, 
So it was, you know, we went into the locker room. Uh, this was one of those San Francisco gyms that had a hot tub hot in the tub, day. Oh yeah. And then, so we were in there for a little bit and then it was like, we should go someplace. Okay. So we went back to my apartment and it was this kind of high energy sexual connection that I I didn't have with a lot of people. Wow. And high energy as in like was it like were you like, like wrestling? Were you throwing each other around the room? Was it like Yeah. And oh. I mean at one point I actually that we were on the back porch. And I was telling him I wanted everyone to see. Yes, it was really Uh, yeah. A a lot of stuff was happening. Yeah, um, all over the apartment. It was really good that my roommates weren't home, (laughs) (laughs) or if they were, Um, they were like in a closet somewhere. It's like that. (laughs) It's like that final scene in Mister and Mrs. Smith where they're just like (laughs) tearing the the house house apart. Yeah, and then when it was all done. And the neighbors had called the cops because of a lot of <laughs> There's been a noise There's complaint. There's blood everywhere yeah. for some reason. Whoa. <laughs> when it was all done, I told him who I was. Oh. And he gave me this look, and I was like, that was what I was in it for. Oh. <laughs> but the like, oh, thing is, you know who I am. Oh, you know who I am. Like, right. this person still, I mean, that was such a, you're both still telling the story decades later. Like, that is, maybe. for him, that must have been so hot as well, right? I don't, maybe, yeah. I think so. Probably. Mm. Yeah, and he said, we can never tell him. And I thought, oh my God, so you think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh I, don't, I don't know that I agreed to it. I don't remember. I think what I thought at the time was like, I will hold this mm-hmm. for when I need it. Right. Which oh. was a kind of <laughs> person. I, I love was. this. Oh, God. Because you know what? I Back have a religious then. experience whenever I hear hot goss. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm like, the witch is on Hocus so Pocus. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I love that. I that used to have edge. a lot of. I suppose I still do. I used to have a lot of trust issues. And so one of the ways that I survived back then was like, anytime that I got something on someone, I mm. kept it. Mm. Oh, God. Um. <laughs> You're like Remy Ma. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alexander Chi, just Game like Remy Ma. Remy we are Ma. learning so much today. <laughs> Alex Chi, the Remy Ma of the literary world. <laughs> Just like, I don't want to have to open my Rolodex on you, but it's there. I think everyone out there knows not to fucking cross Alex if he has anything on them now. Also. Just got his little treasure trove. I would never say that, but I love you but all. I will, say, <laughs> I will say having been in a relationship where I was dating this person for a long time and he had a lot of issues around sex and intimacy and was very, was constantly pushing me away. Like, constantly, like, making me beg for sex. All of these things. But, like... Beg being, for sex? Be, yeah, being in that situation where hmm. um, you're feeling anxious about the relationship can make the sex, when it does happen, be crazy fucking hot. Hmm. Like, I totally have been in the situation that you're talking about, Alex, where you're, like... It, it, it's kind of all of this pent-up bullshit in the relationship. And then there's an ex- sexual explosion of those feelings. And what I realized from that relationship is that those highs are not worth the lows. Like, it is a, a thing mm. about, like, about uh, dysfunctional or abusive relationships. I think that the highs are so high because it's there's so much other shit going on. Is this, like, hate-fucking? Is that, like... Um, I wouldn't even necessarily call it hate-fucking. But it it's is a release. Just, it's totally a release. And yeah. it's totally... You have all of these negative feelings or all this anxiety about the relationship. And then there's a way that you can use your body to kind of act that out in the world. 
Well, also, like, just, like, physical exertion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just, like, being able to, like, I don't know, like, grab onto a bookshelf and get fucked. Not that I'm not speaking from personal experience. Of course. You get to, you know, use your body in a way that, like, um, it just acts as, like, a catharsis, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and in this case, it really sounds like it almost was like that sex was a type of sex you weren't able to have with that person because that person couldn't give you... Right. I mean, we had, we had good sex, but it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's a couple of haywire connections I've had like that. And not all of them had the same kind of associations, right. shall we say, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you just did a hair flip. You did do a <laughs> hair flip. I, I don't even have any hair and it flipped. <laughs> it was incredible. I want to make it a gif and uh, put it on your side. <laughs> It's interesting once you get to a place where you can be open to those kinds of experiences. Because, again, I had the feeling of trespassing. But also, you know, when I think about the story, I think, like, what was I trespassing against? Right. Mm. You know, he was not anybody's idea of a monogamist or a faithful boyfriend of any kind. For That's, that's for sure. Not that I'm judging him. Um, but I'm just, like, describing the situation. And, you know, and the poet had pretty much made it clear to me that he wasn't interested in exclusivity either. Right. You know, and there was a point at which... Like in that point in my life in San Francisco, I think I had about three of these kinds of guys in my life. At the same time. At the same time, right? Mm. And um, you would all kind of know what was going on and sometimes right. you knew a little too much of what yeah, was going yeah, yeah, yeah. on uh-huh. it does sound like in a way um because you were doing all of this uh sort of free emotional labor i don't know if there was like resentment <laughs> in there because that that was just your way of getting the boss to sign your check that was the dotted line you were yeah. just like well i mean if i have to do this like i have to get paid somehow right because in in fact like his complaints were about this guy mm-hmm. i was like well I've been cleaning up after you, so I'm going to get you a little dirty now. (laughs) Get a little taste. Just get a little taste. Thank you so much for that. That story has given me that is is the thing. It's like when your room is like really, really, really dirty, and then you walk and you're like, I need to clean my room, but you're like, my room's already so fucking dirty. You just like throw like (laughs) a pair pair of socks on the floor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury. Because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to MercuryInsurance.com today to get a quote. It's crazy how much we have to pay for outdated, impersonal health care. And even crazier that we all just accept it. It's time to face facts. Healthcare is backwards. Luckily, there's Forward, a new approach to primary care that's surprisingly personal and refreshingly straightforward. Forward never makes you feel like just another patient. Backed by top-rated doctors and the latest tech, Forward gives you access to personalized care whenever you need it. Using in-depth genetic analysis and real-time blood work, Forward's top-rated doctors provide you with in-depth insights to better understand your genetics, mental, and physical health. They then create custom, easy-to-understand plans to help guide you to achieving long-term health. With Forward, you get unlimited in-person visits with your doctor and access to care anytime via the Forward app, all for one flat monthly fee. It's time to stop accepting backwards health care and start moving your health forward. Visit GoForward.com today to learn more. That's GoForward.com. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. 
Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Peace to the planet, Charlemagne the God here. And you don't want to miss Hello Somebody with Senator Nina Turner on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I love Hello Somebody simply because I love Nina Turner. She's fearless. I'm Nina Turner, hell-raising humanitarian, sister in the struggle, and recovering elected official. Listen to Hello Somebody every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And then you come. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Tommy. (laughs) I think it's time that we move on to the meat of our conversation, the thought process about T-H-O-T. And um, all good things, as they say, must come to an end. And food for thought is no different. That's right, my friends. You are listening to the final episode of our first season. Of our first season, (laughs) yes. And... Because of that, we thought we'd maybe do an episode on rejection. And I'm going to tell you about how... Uh, I'm going to give you a little story to segue into the discussion. So about a month ago, a magazine got in touch with me about potentially um, submitting some poems to them. Now, I have toiled in obscurity for about 15 years, so I'm glad that I'm now at the place where I don't have to submit things anymore. People ask me for work. It's an incredibly privileged position to be, and I understand. And I was like, and they had written me this paragraph about how much they loved IRL, which is my first book, and would I please consider submitting something to the little magazine? And I, um, you know, I benevolently said yes and didn't really think much more about it. But last week they got back to me and they said, uh, let me just read this for you. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> thank you so much for submitting. But unfortunately, first of all, for submitting, I was like submitting work. Like, don't leave out the noun there. <laughs> thank you so much for submitting. But unfortunately, we won't be publishing your work, which... Ow, whatever. It happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a million ways in which people don't accept your work. Maybe it didn't fit the theme. Maybe it didn't gel with the other work right, right, that was right. being. Whatever. I don't care. Um, but then they followed up with, in our magazine, we really strive to publish the best work out there, stuff that really sparkles. And while we've really loved writing you've done in the past, maybe you've already published all of your gold. Oh. oh. What the fuck? Hold my gold is more like it. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) I'm going to hit you. (laughs) Where's my pan? (laughs) So, um, I mean, you know, like the absolute horror flooded in. And I think the difference between what happened last week, the way it hit me last week and how it would have hit me when I was younger is that like I've developed a lot of um, defense mechanisms or or coping Coping mechanisms or whatever to like deal with this kind of thing. And also just I've been rejected so many times by so many different magazines that it's just like it all goes into the same like a base feeling and i was also in the arms of maybe the hottest dude i've ever made out with in my entire life so i was like <laughs> whatever can, what you can, I just, can i say this that one thing that's horrible about iphones is that if you look at your email you can get rejections anywhere on the go. for submissions mm-hmm. it's like you can be on a great date you can be literally having 
the best sex of your life. You're like, oh, you know, you know. do you check right. your email during okay, the best, best sex, sex of your life? Like, you could be on say, even the grand doesn't friend. do that. <laughs> that is a lot. I believe be the best sex <laughs> show. True. That you is very true. That ease. is very true. Um, <laughs> but it's it's weird though because it felt like you know again like I've experienced this feeling so many times before. But weirdly, and I was on the other side of the of the country. And weirdly, just like it was, if like rejection to me feels like such a time machine or like an echo because it still it's feels echo, like the yeah. first time. Um, so speaking about like rejections and and first times alex i was wondering oh first of all we're calling him alex for the purpose of this episode and because we're all familiar but do not forget on your motherfucking life that the brand is alexander okay Okay. um but anyway alex i was wondering if you would uh share with us the story of getting your first novel published sure uh that was a story of 24 rejections Mm. (sighs) did they all hurt equally as bad i mean some of them were what there was one the editor said he's kind of like Graham Swift but not as talented. Oh, so that was oh, oh, that's just rude. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> and then there was one that I was really proud of, uh, an editor who just wrote, "I'm not ready for this." Hey, oh right. my god! <laughs> that is a sign of um, the talent of the work. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I have them all in a shoebox, mm. or sorry, actually a cigar box. Mm. I was a steakhouse waiter. Uh, <laughs> And I haven't looked at them in a long time. Over over what time period are we looking at? Like how long? Two years. I mean, it was really kind of wasting a lot of my time. Mm. There were a lot. I mean, a lot of it was marketing people who were like, is it a gay book? Is it an Asian book? Mm. You know, like the main character is gay, but he never really comes out per se. This is my first novel, Edinburgh, for those of you who don't know it. And if you don't um, know, now you know, right? Now you <laughs> you know. should have been known, but now you know. Okay. Put it in the newsletter. <laughs> and, you know, that sort of conversation was so awkward that I had with my agent around it where she said, they don't know how to market it. What kind of novel is it? Is it an Asian American novel or a gay novel? I said, it's a novel. I wrote a novel. Yeah. Like, I didn't... It's disgusting. <laughs> right. Like, it so wasn't much. an immigrant story either. It wasn't a story... Mm. Like, the the main character's father is an immigrant, but it's part of the, his background, but not part of the story, it's per se. It's part of the mythology of the book, but it's not, like... Yeah, yeah it's not, exactly. It's not a typical... It's not, like, a, a, a first-generation story like people are used to reading. And I think that was the thing that in 2000, 1999-2000, was so bewildering for these people. Mm-hmm. And it really, it took, it took a lot out of me to, to hold, my, hold myself up through it because I just kept thinking, like, why am I so invisible to these people? Why is mm-hmm. my, you know, it was a, the novel is a deliberately semi-autobiographical novel in which the main character is someone who is based on me and uh, has the situations but not the events mm-hmm. of my life mm. and that feeling of why does no one get this i don't understand it right was, so the rejections were a negation of you in a way almost like they were failing that, well, to it, see you not not so much th- that as much as like a negation of my ability to uh to tell stories in public mm. and on your if terms. you understand me and on yeah. my in my own terms and so that was the thing that i felt really challenged by and so after the after the 24th one my agent said would you consider withdrawing this from submission which is a which is a thing that people do all the time the first novel that you finish is not always the first novel that you write 
Mm. And in many cases, a lot of folks, their second novel is, in fact, the first novel that they wrote. They just weren't able to find a publisher for it until they mm. had published they some space. An, yeah. a novel and found an audience. So my second novel, The Queen of the Night, at that point was basically a title and a paragraph and some pages that I hadn't shown my agent. And everyone kept wanting that novel and saying, you know, well, that's the that's the big novel. That's the one that's going to make his name. Uh, we don't feel like we can find the support for this novel, you know, which was about teenagers having gay sex and surviving pedophilia and uh, surviving suicide in some cases. And, and I just kept thinking of like this time that my mom went to a friend's, back then they called them stewardesses, flight attendant audition, and they wanted my mom and not her friend. And uh-huh. and I just kept thinking to myself, if you want the pretty sister, you have to take the weird dark sister first. Mm. You know, mm. those, were, those mm. were the terms. Oh my God, that's great. And I thought about it. I read the novel over. I said, I'll, I'll read it over again. And if I decide I should withdraw it, I will, I will withdraw it. And at the end of rereading the novel, I just thought... I fucking love this novel. I'm not pulling it. I am my own favorite new author. Mm. Right. (laughs) Fuck yes. See, I am so glad it was there too, because I feel like in, I remember reading it. I remember actually writing you a a fan letter about this. And it was just that I had never, I I have never so closely identified with a character in a book before. And I understand being unprecedented. You know what I mean? And like that maybe people not getting it, but the people who do get it really, really get it will never forget it. I remember like there's a, cause he's like biracial and so do punk and somebody at a show asked him like, so what are you? And I just remember having those exact conversations and never finding the, never finding that moment in literature the same way. And I never forgot it. It always made me feel like I always, it made me feel like um, further defined in a way. I felt like i i could feel the edges of my body Mm. Hmm. thank you that's really beautiful and i think if i could make a room full of the people who have said something like that to me the amazing thing is how different they all are Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and that's the thing that amazed me about the novel once it was published and which i kind of wanted to take all those editors through i would love to take them into that room yeah yeah um I gave up my agent at the time. I said, it's time for us to stop disappointing each other. And I went back to a friend of mine, uh, Hanya Nagihara, actually, who at the Shout time... Out. Was, <laughs> Shout out. Shout out, Hanya. Hey. Hey. Um, she was an editor at Riverhead at the time, and she had tried to acquire the novel early on and was unable to for Riverhead. And so at the time, the Pushcart has a prize where editors who have failed to acquire a novel can nominate it for consideration by the Pushcart Press, and they will publish it. And mm. this is how Rick Moody got his start. So she, she and I had worked out that kind of... She was like, I would definitely do that. And I went off to a panel with at the Asian American Writers Workshop on Asian American identity and masculinity. And I met a young Korean American editor named Chuck Kim, who at the time was working for a press called Welcome Rain, which was an indie press uh, that I used to jokingly call Two Guys in a Basement on West 26th. <laughs> and, I like that um, name better. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I'm looking to acquire, Would you, do you have a novel? And I said, I do. You know, I was a little shell-shocked about the whole thing. And and he said, well, you know, send it to me. I, I'd love to see it. Let's have lunch. I'll send you an email. I'll have lunch. And he just, like, I kept kind of pushing him away because I just, I was like, I'm sick of mm-hmm. this process. Yeah. I've found my road forward at this point. I don't need to go through this again. So you were doing the rejecting, you were doing the rejecting at that point. 
Yeah, I was I was prepared to reject him, mm-hmm, I would say. Mm-hmm. But he kept pushing and he he said, you know, when he emailed me about lunch, he said, "Bring please bring the novel and bring your favorite things that you've published." And I thought, "Oh, okay, he's actually really interested in me." Mm-hmm. And then I met with him, I gave him the manuscript and I thought, well, so much for that. And then I got an email like two days later on Sunday of that weekend where he said, I'm skipping a Yankees game so I can keep reading this novel. Yeah. And he, he made a big deal about how he was a huge Yankees fan. And I thought... He gets it. Uh, that's an interesting. That's that's interesting praise. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting praise. <laughs> really I, mean, I was like, "Wow, you are really straight." And, yeah. <laughs> and like, is that basketball or <laughs> cricket? What is so that? So that's game? a band, <laughs> right? And Their first album was exactly. great. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "You know, if it doesn't change much." I'm halfway through. If it doesn't change much by the second end of the second half, uh, I can say that I definitely want to acquire this. And the thing is, is that the novel changes a lot. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so I just thought, like, well, oh, fuck. <laughs> okay, you know, talk to you later. And sure enough, by Tuesday, he was ready to acquire the novel. Oh, so yeah. that was like five days. And then after after he acquired it, he hustled. Uh, and by the time got in front of all these scouts and created a situation where the paperback auction was happening for the paperback rights of the novel and what is this so you can you can auction your paperback rights to a book if there is sufficient interest if you're an indie house and people can come looking for it and if it's beneficial for you you can you can do that and so 18 houses were interested. 11 of them had turned it down for hardcover. Oh, my God. Wow. Of course. And Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a... Fran just got a boner. I was going to say, Fran just got goosebumps looking at him. Yeah. I was like, he's, like, he's like silent. It never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quiet, you. Yeah. <laughs> I've been known Fran for a minute, and something he is not as silent. <laughs> it was funny, because I, I ran into... Heidi Julovitz, who was a kind of childhood friend, and she she was she was like, "It's the same novel, right?" And I said, "It's the same novel." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she just shook her head. And I remember one of the one of the letters from one of the editors said, I, "We just feel like we let something really special slip through our fingers." That's the fucking truth. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the houses that had rejected it, Picador did, is the one that acquired it, and then they did an incredible job launching it. It was a different editor than the one who had rejected it, but it was a huge education in how important it is in those situations to wait for the one who gets you. Mm. See, I'm wondering too, like, how did you have, how did you maintain faith in your work as it, and and this to everybody, like, how do you maintain faith in your work in the face of rejection? And this isn't everything with rejection, right? And dating and whatever else, like if there's something you want and you feel like there's all these stumbling blocks and you're getting all this rejection, what do you do to like keep putting one foot in front of the other? It's really important to be good at other things. (laughs) that you get your self-esteem from other places besides your writing actually why i'm a singer um (laughs) (laughs) karaoke okay you can catch me at shout later (laughs) it's a karaoke bar in astoria (laughs) so you know like at the time i was also a yoga teacher and so i could i could be like well I can still rock crow. You know, <laughs> like, um, and now they're eating it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm also good at stand-up comedy. If you didn't know that. That was such a zinger. <laughs> put that, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> gracious. Um, and I'm curious too, because see, and 
every time I hear that story and, and I think about your um, path to getting your first book published, I think a, a lot about how that happened with me too. With my first book, IRL, it was I, I tried getting it out for years and years, yeah. and. I got rejected from every single book contest, every single person I sent it to. I mean, I understand like it's a it's oh, a book length poem. It's 98 pages. It's like really thin and it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. It's like I was like, obviously, not everyone is going to get this. It's not for everybody. I can't be for everybody. Right. I'm not for everybody. Um, and and I had started writing. I had written the zine version of Nature Poem, my second book, and that's the one that everybody loved. And I'd read from mm-hmm. it. And people loved that. They loved that zine. They wanted that book. I had an agent who was like, "If you turn this into a book, I can sell it for you." And she was like, "You know, put IRL on the back burner, and you know, we'll sell Nature Poem, and then you can maybe sell IRL down the line." But I looked at them, and I was just like, it, "IRL was such a version of my me and my body, and I just felt right. it so much more personally than Nature Poem, and I knew it had to be the one that came out first. Yeah. You know, and then um, I didn't get it accepted for publication based on the manuscript. I got it accepted because I was reading a lot, and I'm I happen to be a pretty commanding performer. I don't know, <laughs> you know this. I don't know what you're talking I about. I can sell the shit out of a piece of writing, you know. And like, I my publisher was like, that was like he was like he saw me at a uh, at, at a reading. He was like, that was amazing. Do you have a manuscript? And I was like, yes, in yes, fact, right. I do. He wanted nature poem, but I gave him IRL, wow. and. The thing hmm. is, like it, the the version of IRL that I gave him that that was in my manuscript version was probably seventy five percent of the way to the final book that it became. I knew there was work to be done on it. I just needed somebody to point at the areas yes. and be like, "Look at this oh again." I didn't need line edits. Right. I didn't need somebody to go through and check all of my rhymes and shit like that. I just needed like somebody to point in a direction, and that's what they did. Yeah. And ultimately, it was the best press for me. And it was that's a small right. press, but it became the better, the best book it could possibly be. I feel like that's a that's a huge lesson where it's like, just like you said, Alex, it's like it's important to wait for the person who actually gets you. Because also, I mean, the reason that, you know, I wanted an agent for my book is also because I want someone to come and care for it and help it be the best book it right. can be. Mentor you uh, through that And process. I was, you know, mm. rejected by, I can't tell you how many agents and some of them who I really loved and I had sit down meetings with them and they were just kind of not sold on the project. And I was like, I'm not 100%. I don't think this is the book yet that it needs to be. And I'm looking for someone to like point me, help help construct it. And I just signed with an agent. And Congratulations, I just got her notes. And she, number one, gets the fucking project. Mm-hmm. And number two is pointing it in the directions that are going to make it a fucking amazing book. So it has been so much fun, actually, to like read through her notes and to start writing again. I've been kind of blocked, actually, for the last few months because of other shit going on in my life. But like to just actually sit down and like re-engage with this text that I do love. I love this fucking book. Like mm-hmm. I was never going to compromise i was never going to back burner this book this book is me it's like a it's like a memoir of essays that is about bodies and health and sex and that is just like that is my fucking book and it always will be um and so it was just about finding that person Mm -hmm. i think i would add just a couple of observations about what else kept me going which was partly that i had like a circle of we'll call it trust for yeah Lack of a better word. You know, other writers who I'd gone through my MFA with, uh, writer friends from New York who would check in with me and who had, mm. in many cases, read the novel. And they could not believe that it had not been sold. And they just kept mm. saying, like, what the hell is going on? This is so weird. And if they hadn't supported, in a sense, my own sense of incredulity at what yeah. was going on, I think I would have... Mm had a different relationship to it. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to be there to tell you when you are wrong. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that yeah. really matters. I, you know, I ran into a former writing student who had written several novels and none of them had found a publisher and he's 
an older man and he was just sort of like, what do I do? I was like, well, you have to, you have to think about whether any of these rejections have anything that you should be paying attention to, mm-hmm. you know, change your whole style um, and approach. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, like it's, you know, and I think that's the, that's an important piece of it. I, I did revise Edinburgh at least once in between when those publishers had rejected it and when this new editor saw it based on some thoughts that I had throughout the process. Right. Looking at these letters, some people had things for me to think about. Yeah. And you don't respond to everything. You sort of listen to it in the round and think through whether you believe it. That's right. You know, mm. and, and then move from there. And, and I think um, a considered process, not a complete, you know, I'm going to do this no matter what. I, I mean, it's true that I think some, for some of us, our first books are a kind of manifesto. Mm-hmm. And... And a statement about how we are going to exist going yeah. further. And, you know, in my case, I had the the fortune to be the first Korean-American gay author. Mm-hmm. You know? mm. I mean, unfortunately, Sam Park, who uh, Samuel Park was, he was the second. Um, he unfortunately has just died mm. of uh, after a long struggle with cancer. And there's not, there's Franny Choi, who... Mm-hmm. Uh, is beloved, but there's really shout not, out Franny. There's yeah. really not a lot of us in the Randy city. So it's for me. It was it was something that like that made it different from the experience of my friends who were coming into publishing where they could look and see other writers who were like them. Mm-hmm. You know, I for me, I, it was still like a uh, looking across in the way that I looked at all of my heroes at the time. Yeah. You kind of cobbled them together. Exactly. You know, you, like, you, yeah, I feel like for me, there's a little bit of you, there's a little bit of Pamela Sneed, there's a little bit of Sherman yeah. Alexi, there's like, you know, if uh, there's a little bit of Amy Winehouse, let's not lie. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, Fran, as somebody who's an editor of a magazine, and you're oftentimes in the position of rejecting, rejecting. what are some of the reasons that you reject pieces? Oh, God. I thought you were going to ask. Well, we can get onto that I, one too, but... Yeah, I mean, okay. Reasons that I reject Jacked pieces are, I like to say for my magazine specifically, because it's a print publication. It's only, Hello, Mr. Magazine. Hello, Mr. Magazine. It's only, it's a print publication. It's only 200 pages. Um, it only comes out twice a year. I like to say like our magazine is like a very tightly curated museum. And there are a lot of beautiful pieces that would probably want to be like hosted in like the rooms of this museum. But sometimes something doesn't look good next to another thing or doesn't belong in this room, doesn't belong in this wing. And sometimes there are really incredible pieces. And this happens all the time. There are really incredible pieces that I have on my desk that I have to pass at a certain time because I can't curate it into the things that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I personally, depending upon what the situation is, would be like, okay, can I put this in? Are like our back room. Could I put this in our archives? Can mm-hmm. I store this for when the it, it is time for you to exhibit? Um, but that's different from like you know a glossy magazine or something that comes out like monthly or quarterly um, or something that has more pages or fewer pages. It really differs by the kind of publication it is. But I will say that being on that end of rejection, being the rejector, makes it. I don't know if this is everybody's experience, but it makes really easy for me to get rejected like when i get rejected i i'm just like okay yeah yeah, like i'm i've pretty much i don't think i've ever really had i can think of like one thing i can think of a fellowship that i got made it into the final 10 and got rejected for that i had a hard time Mm. coming to um terms with but i feel like (laughs) (laughs) alexander g Phones on silent, please. Uh, (laughs) Um, Sorry, it was an alarm. No, you're fine. So weird. (sighs) Nap time's over. Um, (laughs) 
uh, no, I was just gonna say that um, I I feel like there it. I've only really had one rejection that I feel like I took. It, it, I had a hard time coming to terms with. Mm. All the other ones, I was just like, I read the email on the go, on a date, whatever, and I was just like, it's fine. I feel like the thing about rejection, I mean, we all, you know, rejection kind of does, is debilitating to me sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm very, I'm a very sensitive soul. But like, Pisces, it, he's not a Pisces, you. but it scales with how much you care, right? Oh, yeah. You know, for sure. And mm. so it's like uh, a rejection for an essay that is 2,000 words, that is not like my manifesto doesn't hurt that much. A rejection for a 10,000 word essay that I poured myself into hurts more. And then rejection for a book hurts even more. It's like, a, you know, if I go out on one date with you and I like am feeling you and then you're like, ghost me, I don't feel that bad. But like, you know, if I've dated you for a couple of years and I feel rejected, then like my whole world just falls into itself, oh. right? When, okay, when is it okay to ghost? <laughs> what do you mean ghost? Like, like the editor or the writer or? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just as a date. Like, as a date. <laughs> like is it two dates? Is it three dates? Is it one? Day? Like, is it, can I you, think, what's an ethical ghost time? I think it depends on what happens on the first date. Yes. I, mean, <laughs> I think if you fucked, it's not ethical to ghost, right? If you've had somebody's balls in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> is it ethical to ghost on that? <laughs> is that intimate? From the thought Bible. <laughs> I don't know. I think, um, you know, sex is not uh, necessarily the same thing to the same folks. So it's, you know, like for you, it might have been intimate, even if it's just the one time. And for them, it might have just been like knocking into somebody on the subway. That's for Um, sure. Like, and if you just like, you're like, oh, yeah, like, if I was going to lick a taint, that would be, like, really intimate. Like, but there's, like, a taint licker me. out there who's, yeah. like, meh. But on the flip side, I can have a really, I can have a really intimate, <laughs> sexless night with a person and then absolutely. feel more heartbroken when no, I... No, absolutely. It's about intimacy it's and, and, and uh, you know, how close you actually feel to the situation but because how much of, you care. Right, but because of that, because people, um, th- because people define intimacy differently... That's right. They're gonna, they're, that's why this, this, this whole uh, generation of dating is so frustrating. Well, I mean, every generation of dating is for everything is fucking frustrating. Yeah. Let's just not let's not narrow it down like that. But like, because these rules are so idiosyncratic, it seems um, I never like sometimes it occurs like sometimes I, I don't I wonder what I do in dating that I feel obligated to do. Mm-hmm. You mean like, mm-hmm. is this a rule or is this relative? Right, right, you right, know? right, right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that also like some people part of why they may not be there is because it means too much, which is the most frustrating, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, people who have like strenuous intimacy issues, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, will like go in there and then, and then bounce hard. And it's like, it's a sign of how much I love you that I'm not here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like that Fiona Apple song fast as you can. (laughs) She's just like, get out of here. You know what I mean? Like you say you're not going to go, but you will. And I'll make you. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why you identify with that so deeply, Tommy. Because I really, I kill that song at karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) I wish Dennis was here for me and him to be like, who's Fiona Apple again? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but another thing that I wanted to bring up is that I feel like rejection, whether it's like leaving a job or understanding why you're getting rejected your book manuscript is getting rejected or why you're getting a relationship getting rejected from a relationship is so much so about your relationship with yourself and like the things that 
the, the as you said with your writers group, mm. the people that you surround yourself with mm. to keep you in check and tell you your truths, and also for you to reread your manuscript or to be like, hey, I actually know IRL, my book is really fucking fantastic. Right. To be in touch with yourself and to like account for all the different things that make you great. And it's like it's like a, it's like a, a life, life affirmation. <laughs> Narcissism, I am life. beautiful, but it's the same. I am enough. I mean, <laughs> from the thought Bible, um, from the book of RuPaul, chapter one, verse two. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Um, and I do think that that rejection kind of does it does come down to whether I know uh, it does come down to whether or not you feel like um, your work is worthy, or and and your also your understanding of the context of it within the publication that you're getting rejected to, or the person you're getting rejected to. So I, being an editor, will have been on the other side and I'm like, Oh, I know that it's not on a, on the, I can convince myself rather that it's not on the merit of my book. It's like something that they're not ready for. Mm. per se. And I think that it's important to remember also that like rejection is the thing that writers work with almost as much as language. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. you just have to like get into it because, and figure out whatever your strategy is because it's, it's going to be something that you have around for a while you'll get intimate with that feeling yes. yeah i mean yeah. i think in the case of that email that they sent you that wasn't really a rejection that was more like those kids were burning a bridge which was weird yeah, and oh, yeah. I, so weird. you know like maybe you published all your gold is like um it's it's shady it's like it's kind of it's like maybe you're Maybe you've lost your looks. It's it's yeah. really it's so really awful. shitty. Also, yeah, it's, like, and this isn't a threat, but also this is a threat. You said that to the wrong person. Tommy is vindictive as fuck. Am on mic. But the thing is, like, I am not going to name that publication because, like Dorian Corey in Paris's Burning says, Shade is. I don't have to tell you you're ugly because you, you know, know you're ugly. That you're ugly. <laughs> Back <Yeah>. off. <laughs> Um, I also want to talk a little bit about the giddy magic of quitting because mm. quitting is one of my all-time favorite things to do. <laughs> um, like quitting class. I mean, oh, I still have like sometimes I'll have like uh, I'll take a nap and I'll have like a daydream that I just like I, I took like some I don't know, like took French or something and I decided not to go to class. Like little things like that. Like just, Tom, just you like, and I are opposite people. <laughs> I've never quit anything in my life. I quit all the like, time. I love quitting. I've Fran. never quit. By the way, this is my last episode of Food for Thought. By the way. <laughs> 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 Bye. Good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think it's time we move on to the dessert because, as I've said before, I'm full, but I could fit one more thing inside of me. Always. <laughs> Our it. final dessert of the season. Our final dessert of the season. Joe, would you intro this for us, please? Yeah, so I think that, you know, we're going to get a little deeper into it than how this person has already been all over the internet in the last uh, <laughs> few weeks. But our final dessert this week is the lovely, the incredible, the shady as fuck, Maxine Waters. And, um, you know, this she's a congresswoman. uh, She's a Democrat from California. And she has just been leading the charge. And kind of when all, you know, the day after the election, whatever, Bernie Sanders was saying, you know, we'll work with the butt plug in chief if he, (laughs) you know, uh, goes forward on the infrastructure plan or things that are good for workers. And Maxine from get-go was like, he's a schmuck. He's an idiot. 
he's an asshole. He's I don't trust him. He's mm-hmm. illegitimate. illegitimate. You know, we got to get him out. And so has no credibility. You know, has no credibility. So just from the from the get go, and people have come around to that. But like, she was principled mm-hmm. from day mm-hmm. one. Yeah, uh, and has really because of that, and because of how open she is and how disdainful she is, she kind of has given a voice to all of us who feel totally not represented within the mainstream political reaction mm-hmm. to the butt plug in chief. <laughs> like she acts the way we want our politicians yes. to act. Yes. That we call on them to act because I remember like uh, seeing her on MSNBC when someone was like, "So if if Trump invited you to the White House and uh, wanted to you know sit down with you, would you go?" And she's like, "Oh no, I'm not going." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not just about principles and about a, a deep sense of like the doing what is right. It is yeah. about disposition. It's about how she carries herself. I was at um, the Women's March in D.C. There were like a bajillion speakers there, and at a certain point, I I will not lie. I was getting a little bored. Like there are so many, they're, they're, they're over and over and over again. I've been standing for five, four or five hours. We're all tired. We're all hungry, whatever. We're all listening to these speakers. When Maxine Waters stepped into that podium, mm. everyone in the audience clicked in. And it's because of the exact same thing you're talking, thing you're talking about. Maxine just commands a room and she speaks frankly and truthfully. Yeah. And she speaks in a way that is outside of how we, a lot of, how a lot of people require politicians That's to right. speak. Mm-hmm. Um, she's able to say, and tweet, get ready for impeachment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that is so bad ass. Yeah. I, I love that quote where she was like, um, I have not called for the impeachment yet. He's doing it himself. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, the thing is, like, Maxine Waters has been in an elected official for over 40 years. Yeah. So she's been in the game a long time. Not her first rodeo. Yeah. yeah. And she's been uh, politically active, outspokenly politically active, I think, uh, ever since the Watts Rebellion, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm curious, when did she first come to your attention? So for me, it was the Women's March. Mm-hmm. I've known about Maxine Waters a long time. I couldn't. I mean, I started becoming. I won't call it a news junkie exactly. Like I became obsessed with how George W. Bush was dismantling the country, like mm-hmm. <laughs> back when he took office, mm-hmm. and so it felt like I was always. I mean, she was outspoken then too yes. about about Bush, and I think what I love about her as a as an elected official is that she does not play along with this narrative that the press is always putting on Democrats, which is like you know, like they're asking her if she's going to come at Trump's invitation. They're not asking Trump if he's going to invite her, mm-hmm. and and they need to be, mm-hmm. but they don't ask her. They don't ask him that. They don't ask him if he's reaching out to Democrats. They don't ask him if he feels even the obligation to, even though he won with a minority of the popular vote. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's they keep acting like Democrats owe something to the Republicans. And they never act like the Republicans owe anything to Democrats. And she's not having it. And mm-hmm. I love her for that. Yeah. I also like that she called Fox the sexual harassment enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> she's just, I mean, it's just so she's so clever and she's so quick. It's just so funny. Like it is just it makes it makes me laugh. And we all need that. We all need like the, the sharpness, the brightness, but like also the levity. Yeah. I think she was holding maybe a town hall or something or she was speaking somewhere and someone was like asked her, uh, so what do you think of the tea party? And she was like, Oh, the tea party can go straight to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Maxine Waters clips on YouTube. <laughs> so fucking good. Yeah, I mean she has 
had it will be on her grave. It's yeah. just like, it's so good. It's exactly how she is. And it's how America feels right now. Yeah. I also like that she doesn't take the bait. Like after Bill O'Reilly's dumbass was like talking about her wig. Uh, I, I, oh again, God. she was like being interviewed and they're like, so do you have any comments for Bill O'Reilly? And she's like, no, I don't have any comments for Bill O'Reilly. I will not be deterred to, uh, we will continue to talk about the Kremlin clan. You know what right. I mean? She was just like, <laughs> she's not going to take a step back and like address somebody Bullshit. else's attack. Yeah, Cause yeah, like yeah. she has been attacked like that. This isn't new for her. Right. You know what I mean? Like she's gaining, uh, I think uh, because of reasons that we've talked about before, like she's gaining a lot of prominence post election. I didn't as much see her, uh, around during the election cycle. Like she mm-hmm. wasn't the progressive person that people were pointing to. It wasn't because like at that That's time it was right. like Elizabeth Warren. They're like, what do you think about Trump, Elizabeth Warren? Why don't you come be like a surrogate on Hillary Clinton's campaign right. trail, Elizabeth Warren, you know, people like that. And I think like, because of her, because like she just has continued to stick to her principles. That's right. She's the one that we're kind of looking towards, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Maxine Waters, Maxine. cheers to you. Cheers. 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 We, chin, chin, chin. we raise a, a, we raise a, a, a Corona with Aperol. <laughs> <laughs> corona what, light with Aperol. What did we call this, Tommy? Uh, Thotini. Thotini. <laughs> Drink along with us, y'all. Replacement rosé. <laughs> So thank you for sticking with us throughout this entire episode and throughout this entire season. Mm. Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Coronas and Aperol, otherwise known as the Tartini. Our engineer is Alex Mead Fox at Spaceman Sound Studios in the heart of industrial Greenpoint, Mm -hmm. New York. And our producer is the light through yonder window breaks, Alexandra De Palma. (laughs) I'm Tommy Pico. You can find me on all relevant social media at HeyTeebs, H-E-Y-T-E-E-B-S. I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squish Co on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. And I'm Alexander Chi, and you can find me at, at Alexander Chi on Twitter or thequeenofthenight.com. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to make sure that we come back for a season two. You want us, don't you? (laughs) Find us on Twitter at Food for Thought Pod, Facebook, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Sign up for a newsletter for episode insights, reading lists, and extra delectable content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. And finally, email us with your questions, thoughts, concerns at thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that is food, the number four... And thought spelled how? T H O T. Thanks. See you next season. Bye, y'all. <laughs> <Mwah. laughs>